0: Got it. Hi everyone. My name is Donna D. and I'm from New Hampshire. And I'm just very grateful to be asked to speak here and to just have an opportunity. Anytime we have an opportunity to delve into the text and really relate it back to us and our ourselves. And for those of you who don't know me, I'll just do a quick um, bio of me and my my food history. Um, I think I was born. A compulsive overeater my mother talks about as a baby she couldn't even change my diaper because I would shake and scream to be fed and she'd have to feed me first before she could change my diaper in the morning and you know the first two words I learned were two cookies so she couldn't trick me by breaking a cookie in half and just giving me one cookie um and I just remember like I wasn't a fat kid because my mom had five kids and she had to control the food but I remember always watching my younger sister who was a slow eater and wanting to finish what was on her plate once I was done mine. And just food has always preoccupied too much space in my head and my life. Um, And on into college where I did start to gain weight because my mother wasn't there to um, monitor my food. I started making myself throw up and use that as one of the tools and exercising as a tool. And, you know, all of the, You know, restriction as a tool to just try and keep a body weight, and thinking that you know that's what this was all about, right? So many of us, and it it took me into my fifties to not be able to trick the disease, or you know, my vain attempts, as it says in in the chapter that we're looking at, and more about alcoholism, Um, and it just kept cycling downward, downward, and downward, and you know, I spent my teens gaining and losing 10, you know, that 10 pounds and in my twenties gaining and losing that 15 to 20 pounds. And in my thirties and forties gaining and losing that 25 to 30 pounds. And then in my fifties was up by 70 pounds by the time I finally like hit my bottom and went through all sorts of, you know, that's it. Screw it. I'm, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to live this way. But I got to the point where life had no meaning and the things I used to do, um, to be happy I wasn't wanting to do anymore. And I had three wonderful and healthy kids that were having a good life and a husband that loves me and a great job and everything You know, on paper looked great, but on the inside, I could have cared less if I lived or died. My mom used to talk about living into her nineties and I think, what the hell for? I am 55 years old and I'm done. You know, I, I can't see the purpose. And by the grace of God, my mom had been a recovered woman and she passed away in February of 2020. and At the beginning of May of 2020, I heard a voice come to me at three o'clock in the morning and say, just go to an OA meeting tomorrow, Donna. And I stopped arguing and I went and I heard the words compulsive overeater," And I finally thought, oh my God, that's what I am. I'm compulsed to eat. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and thank God, you know, since May 15th of 2020, I've been relieved of um, the substances and you know, worked the steps very quickly through a program and had that thing that was in the middle of my chest. I always had this ball of anxiety here. And when I was working on the 10th step with my sponsor, I suddenly realized it was gone and it has not returned since. And that ball of anxiety is what always pulled me towards the food. Um, so God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, it, it, It's just, it's a miracle. I never imagined life this way. So just grateful and grateful for the opportunity to speak about it and give back and, you know, and hopefully it resonates with others here. Um, So when I looked at this chapter and was kind of rereading it on my own again, because usually I read it with sponsees. Um, it reminded me of the first time that I read it with my sponsor, which got me sort of thinking about the whole first time I read the big book with my sponsor a couple of years back. Um, you know, and realizing that this chapter is really a hard-hitting one. Um, you know, because you go through the doctor's opinion, and in the doctor's opinion, kind of gives you some information, right? We've got this threefold disease: it's our body, it's our mind, it's our spirit. Um, you know, and kind of touches on, I'm always going to have this and I might be hopeless, but oh, but if you have this spiritual awakening, you've got hope. Great. Sign me up for that. I want to do that. And then, you know, in Bill's story, Bill starts off really ambitious and I can relate to that. And, you know, I was young and ambitious once and, you know, and he goes through a story of how it evolved and evolved. And I think about, okay, that's me. It evolved and evolved, you know, but then Ebby comes along and he does the steps and everything gets better. And he has this message he wants to carry forward. And I'm still thinking, okay, sign me up for this. And, you know, on into there is a solution, right? Which starts with thousands of men and women who have all recovered. Yeah, that sounds great too, right? And I hear that, you know, I, I, I don't have a choice but there is a common solution like i don't have a choice over my addiction but what really struck me and more about alcoholism is for me it's kind of where the rubber met the road and the message and i had to start to think like do i really think that i'm that down and out um and i just want to read kind of the first few few paragraphs in here and then kind of go and talk more about it but most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. This persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learn that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times we were regaining control, but such intervals usually briefly were inevitably followed by still less control, which led into time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of a progressive illness over any considerable period. We get worse, never better. And then I love the example, we are like men who have lost their legs. And so this is where I started bargaining the first time I went through the steps. Um, I started thinking, okay, yeah, well, I will be the good rule follower, and I will say yes, and I will do as I'm being told to do, and I will say what I'm being told to say, and, you know, but this little thing inside of me kept saying, hmm, you know, this is a big, tall order, right, Um, and so it was scary, and I really didn't go through this step, and then into the next steps, I was willing, I was always willing, but I didn't really totally believe it. Even though I could go through all of the writing more, you know, look at all my vain attempts. I mean, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of things that I've done over and over again. And I talked about like when I got into my fifties and the weight kept going up and up. And that was like, you know, I would cycle through one month at a time going through each and everything that had worked before and give up on it. You know, it wasn't fast enough. So give up and move on to the next one. but just not really seeing that I was done done. Um, and then God gave me a miracle while I was sort of having this argument in my head and going through the steps. Um, I went out to breakfast with my husband and you know, going out to eat in the beginning is really hard. And I planned it all out and I called the restaurant and I found out everything I thought I needed to know um, and thought I had this perfectly abstinent, brought my scale, weighed and measured and all of that. And then a a day or so later, um, I started craving food. My husband opened a bag of chips, and I was like a bloodhound and a velociraptor. I could smell it across the room, and I wanted to pounce on him and steal that bag of chips. And I thought, what the heck is going on? And I'm thinking, I'm in my ninth step. Maybe I'm not doing something right, and all that. And it finally occurred to me there was that piece of dry wheat toast. And I don't know why I. It didn't occur to me that I can't just have any I have Ezekiel bread all the time you know I can't just have anything um you know and and I realized okay thank you God right that was my message right and and I was done done after that I realized and so I could look back at this chapter and say oh thank God now I'm at this point where I'm done um and then looking at the rest of it it's like it's this mental twist in my head, right? That wants to always believe. And I love this chapter for giving us so many great examples of the mental twist and where it comes into people's lives. They've been successful for a certain amount of time with certain aspects of the program. Um, You know, you look at like the man of 30 and he had stopped drinking for 25 years because he had this great willpower, right? And he retired at 55. But if we look back at that, right? he, He dealt with the body. And a little bit with the mind, right? With the willpower, but there was no spirituality in that whatsoever, right? And I can look back and say, well, that's what I did my whole life, right? I tried to get the knowledge. Donna, 10 minutes. Thank you. I tried to get the knowledge and I tried to get the willpower. And I would look at like, for me, my older and younger sister didn't have this disease. My older sister was always this person that never ate more than half of what was on her plate and saved the rest for another meal sometime. And again, I'd look across and want to eat that. And my younger sister didn't like most things and she just never wanted to finish anything. Um, and so I thought, okay, let me study them and watch them and get the willpower that they have. Right. But there was nothing. Right. I couldn't, I was looking for this cure that came out of my mind or out of, you know, some set of logic. And denying my body, I didn't even know what substances, but denying my body enough calories, right, so that I would lose the weight, because I was always looking for that outcome to be the physical effect. I wasn't measuring the right things here. I was never measuring a connection to God, um, which I now know is the only thing. You know, when we talk about that miracle that I had, I, I would have never been able to do that on my own. That's a gift that has been given to me by following the steps in this book. You know, and then when we go on and kind of look at at Jim and his story about, you know, okay, he had all these reasons for having resentments and being upset and, you know, but he'd been told, you know, what was going on and, and, but it didn't matter. The great forgetter came in again, right? Like everything that had gone wrong before. And he felt in that day, he deserved to feel better, right? So suddenly he thought, if I just give myself a little something, I, you know, just give myself a little treat, something to feel better, um, which is what I was always doing, right? The food was this thing that when I came home from work and I felt miserable, I'd sit on the couch, turn on the TV to zone out, and I'd start eating. I'd start eating my pre-dinner snack because I didn't have the energy to start making dinner yet till I got this anxiety level down a little bit, right? And I I deserved this. I deserved to feel better because I worked hard all day long and I shouldn't be expected to do anything that I'm supposed to do until I feel better. Um, And so this was always my thinking and I wasn't thinking about it. And they say he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, right? I had no spiritual life at that point around the food. But now that I do, I just went on a cruise last week and food's everywhere. And you know, and could have cared less, right? I mean, I went into every restaurant and I had my my sheet of this is what I can have, this is what I can't have, this is how you can make a salad for me, this is how, you know, and I got arguments in some places and I could hold steady and you know, because I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm not willing to give up that connection with my higher power for food because food never made me feel good right you know and that the fact that jim could forget that right everything that had happened before and and the delusion that he was going to feel better if he put whiskey in his milk and you know and look where it ended up it didn't end up making him feel better right but we believed that in the moment and without my spiritual connection i could succumb to that belief again too Right. It's very, and without the work that we have to do all the time, because it's my mind is twisted, right? On my own, I've got, you know, no defense against this disease whatsoever. Um, you know, I have all sorts of delusional thinking that comes up all the time, right? And I mean, when I really hit rock bottom during it was during COVID and I was working from home, um, you know, I'd find myself in the kitchen having just, devoured things, stupid things, and think, I don't even know how I got here. And yet here I was, you know, now having to plan, how am I gonna get rid of all of this now? Or even just six months ago in program, you know, I stepped on my once a month on the scale and I didn't like the number, it was up two pounds and I really didn't like that. And it generated a lot of fear. So suddenly I made a decision to roll my eating plan backwards. And take a couple fats out of a few meals, right? Because oh, that's what it was like before when I was supposed to be losing weight. So I'll just lose a couple pounds and then I'll, you know talk to my sponsor and go. and then immediately, I started thinking about food between meals. And for me, that's the big trigger, right? Like if I'm thinking about food any other time than preparing it and I'm looking forward to it, I know i'm I'm in a problem state. But people would ask me, Oh, you know, and I would be doing these 10 steps and everything. And people would ask, did you change anything? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. And, and I meant it at the time because that's how quickly I made that sudden decision in my mind to change something. And then that was it. I was on past it. It had 15 yeah. minutes. Thank you so much. Um, so it had its effect on me, right? Because I wasn't living honestly. I was letting the disease thinking take over again. Um, you know, and again, thank God for the steps and and having fellows and being in such a strong program that, you know, eventually I was able to see that. And, you know, I was talking to somebody and in the middle of the conversation, I said, can I tell you the truth? I just realized the truth about this. And, you know, and it just opens up those gates again of communication back with, with my God. Um, You know, and then I look at like the jaywalker and I laughed a little bit when you read that story, right? Like who the hell would jump out in front of cars and buses all the time, but I was killing myself and not seeing the seriousness of it. Um, you know, just buying bigger clothes and, you know, always planning in some future where things were going to get a lot, lot better. Um, but without really taking seriously that everybody in my family that's been diabetic is overweight. And I could say those words, but I couldn't act as if, you know, for any amount of time. That, that was gonna, you know, so I did the same thing. I threw myself in front of this disease and in front of an unhealthy body over and over and over again without any care. Um, you know, and then to Fred's story, he made up his mind. Now, how many times did we all make up our minds to do something? This was it, you know, I'm done with this or I've got this wedding coming up or I have this event coming up, this reunion for school or whatever it was, I made up my mind. And once I lose the weight, and I would always say, Oh, if I gain five pounds back, I'm right back strict on it again. But again, it's not about the body and it's not about the mind only. If, I, if it doesn't include the spiritual part of it, we're lost. And these are all examples where, you know, people without that spiritual connection, without that ability to have that thought and pause and pray and turn for guidance from their God and say, well, wait a minute that doesn't seem right that doesn't sound right to turn to their fellows that we have in the program and ask for help and for guidance in these thoughts we can't catch them right we're going to just shove them under the carpet and we're going to go back to doing the things the way and in the belief that this time this time I'm going to get it right this time you know, I, I have that, you know, and I even thought that, like I said, when I was first reading, well, this is different, you know, I've never done OA before. So this is gonna be a lot more knowledge than I ever had before. Um, but it would have been exactly the same. And I know it would be exactly the same um, because my mind is still twisted. Um, and I think that's all I have to share. So
1: thank you and I pass. Thank you so much, Donna. That was fabulous. I really appreciate it a lot. had to share. Um, let's see here. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine, if you're on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. When the timekeeper, will the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each chair and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Um, okay, let's see who we have. Meredith go ahead
2: Hey everybody, I'm Meredith, a compulsive overeater. Um thank you, Donna. I it makes me it reminds me of um you know when you were talking about taking a fat out or whatever, you know, just switching it up because it makes sense to to you. Um I I've been abstinent since um May, well, actually, July, I had a slip between May and July. Um, Anyway, I was, I was, I weigh and measure my food and report it each day to my sponsor. And um, one day, I left her a message saying I was, I was changing out one grain for another. And it didn't seem like a big deal. And I said that, um, I said, but I just wanted to tell you, and she said, yeah, in my experience, when it, when I tell myself it's not a big deal, it's probably a big deal, which, you know, that thing that I did, it really, it wasn't a big deal, but it's what it represents that could turn into a big deal. I mean, one day it's, you know, kale for broccoli, and then it's like, brownies for chocolate chip cookies or what, you know, I don't know. Um, so it's just hearing other people share about stuff like that, that it would seem ridiculous to, you know, a normal person, I think to, um, to report something like that. But it to me is like a token of just utter honesty. And I have to be honest in all my affairs, whether it's kale or broccoli or whatever. So thanks for your share, Donna, I appreciate it.
1: Great. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, Nancy P.
3: Hi, everybody, Nancy P. Recovering in West Newton, Massachusetts. I really like this chapter because it really shows me, I mean, you know, the doctor's opinion is where we um, admit that we're compulsive overeaters, but the more about alcoholism shows me that really nothing is gonna help me. It says in the whole, and throughout the book, it tells me all the things that aren't gonna help me. And then it gives four excellent um, illustrations in more about alcoholism in the people, the, um, Jim, Fred, the man of 30 and the jaywalker, like fear isn't going to work. Time isn't going to work. Um, you know, my zip code or my income and all that, that's not going to work and sort of random jaywalkery stuff isn't going to work. Like nothing's going to work. And I had, I have a pretty deep bench of stuff that didn't work. And, um, You know, I was, I always had some stupid excuse, not even, I felt like they were reasons, not excuses, you know, and, you know, to to summarize everything, like, when I finally decided to get better, I did that in the face of what I considered the mother of all excuses to eat. Um, And most of you know me, most anyone who knows me knows that it was about my daughter who was cutting and burning herself. And she didn't care what I thought. She didn't care. She didn't care. I just had this conversation with her the other day. I mean, she was mostly listening and I was like, you didn't do anything to me. I did everything to me. And, um, you know, she's done, you know, her brain chemistry changed and she got older and she stopped doing that. And, um, you know, she's healthy and happy and, you know, she's great. And I, that's in my rearview mirror. But when I was in the middle of that and I couldn't eat fast enough, I thought I was never going to get better. And and I just remember thinking of all the years that I spent in Overeaters Anonymous thinking, why am I so mad still, even though I'm not eating on the times when I wasn't eating? I'd be like, I'm not eating. I'm still mad. And I'm still frustrated. and I'm still a mess. Like, why is this? Everybody in the Boston area says, just buy the broccoli and everything will be okay. So I learned from that, that it's not about the food at all for me, like at all. I eat beautifully, but I eat simply, and I don't pick, lick, bite, taste, any of that stuff. I I just, you know, I have specific rules that I follow and I never, ever, ever break them, ever. And, um, you know, the the best part about my recovery is when I learned that um, the things that weren't gonna help me left, opened up this door for the thing that would help me. And once I decided that nothing was gonna get in the way, I just had this conversation with someone that called me tonight, today, this afternoon. You know, when I decided nothing was going to get in the way of my recovery, nothing got in the way. Like, it was magic. I just decided nothing's going to get in the way, and therefore nothing did, including my daughter. I got much better, and she was like I was holding a balloon down. And when I, I don't paid attention to it, she got much worse, but I got much better. So if anybody's interested in the answer, it's um, surrender, surrender, surrender.
1: Great. Thank you, Nancy P. Um, Ann L., you're next.
4: My name's Anne, I'm a compulsive reader. Um, I'm able to say that today. Um, when I first came to OA, I wasn't able to say that because I didn't believe I was a compulsive reader when I came. Um, I just had a problem with sugar. And um, I, I went to this meeting and um, I, I stopped eating all the sugar and I lost a lot of weight and I left and I went back out there again. And, um, I, um, kept playing with food for a long, long time. I became diabetic and I didn't care enough about myself to take care of myself. And I kept playing with food and, um, and I did it until, um, it was starting to kill me and, um, but I still didn't recognize the denial was so, so sick. I lived in delusions and illusions. And finally, um, finally, I don't know what, how it got through to me. I have no idea how it got through to me, but finally in 20, 21 I um I got to a point where I was willing to come back to OA and when I came back I um I was still into the food a little bit and got a sponsor and um I had to go through the steps twice because I couldn't hear the message the first time and once I got through the steps the second time um I realized that I really was a compulsive overeater and um, I I started to get better. Um, I played with food enough that um, I ended up on four different diabetic medicines. But you know what? Today, only by God's grace, am I at the point where I'm on two different medicines today and um, my numbers look good. And um, I become um, a person that has been sane and sensible for quite some time now. Most of the time, I can't say it's all perfect because, you know, things happen every single day. But I am so grateful for this program and for the 12 steps of recovery and for just showing up at meetings um, and being the person that can do what I can do today, which is to. be a person that's found a power greater than myself that can help me and is always there for me and, um, and to um, keep working these steps the way that I do. And that's all I have. Thank you very much.
1: Great. Thank you, Anne. Um, CJ, you're up next.
5: Hey everybody, CJ, anorexic bulimic, compulsive overeater, living in a recovered state today, this moment. Um, Donna, thank you so much for your service. What I, what I, well, my heart heard about your share. What I loved about your share was the radical honesty brings radical self-acceptance that, um, the, the being honest with myself and others, there's a, um, there's a there's a shame that gets lifted from from letting all of those secrets go, and I, I the the hope and what I heard in your in your share was that that honesty does do those things. Like really living an honest program through these steps is the only experience I've had with with letting go of the shame of what I do with food, um, what I do with my behaviors, the mental twists. Um, and, and just the, just what I heard, I don't know if that was, but what I heard was just, there's, there's not like, it's, it's just being honest. Like I can just be honest with what's going on. I don't have to worry about what people think or what I think about myself. It's, it brings, it, it brings about a freedom, um, that level of honesty that I, um, I didn't find anywhere else. And when I, um, one of the things I love about, this chapter when it talks about Fred is, you know, in chapter and page 40, it says um, he was positive that this humiliating experience, plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober for the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. And the next paragraph says we heard no more of Fred for a while. Um, and, And I very much was raised that way. That was, to me, it was if I figure it out, if I just take the class, if I just get the, the the instructions, if I can just be compliant, a compliant little student, I'll be able to figure it out. And um, and I tried everything and there's, there's nothing, there's no power within me uh, that is going to get me the spiritual recovery uh, that this program is bringing. It has to be a power outside of me. Um, And I still get lost in that, not necessarily with abstinence, but with the emotional sobriety um, and and still think that there's things that I need to figure out rather than going to my fellows. And um, it's just a great reminder of uh, the power that comes from outside of me has a lot to do with the the people in these rooms. And um, just very, very grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass, thanks.
1: Thank you, CJ. Um, Sharon W., you're up
6: next. Hi, Sharon W., um, and I am a compulsive overeater. I'm going to repeat that. I am a compulsive overeater, Um, not recovered for today. I had um, two and a half, nearly three years of recovery. And right now I'm, I'm an example. I could be Fred. I could be Um, I got cocky, um, insisting that, you know, I could eat this one-off kind of food um, and found myself at a little French patisserie last week. So um, it's not funny. Um, I I laugh because it's my favorite chapter in the book. And I used to say, um, oh, my God, this will never happen to me again, because you know, I don't ever want to be there again. I don't ever want to live like that again. Sorry, I have a puppy that's uh, gonna trying to get away from me to probably pee on the floor. Um, and I, um, I, I, you know, my first step was getting back to meetings. Um, I've got to find a new sponsor. I've got to got to throw myself back in it again, and just open my eyes to you know, I am no different than anyone else. We are all in this together. And I definitely was feeling a little cocky there. And God put me back in my place. My higher power said, Mm-mm, not having it. So um, I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, I know this program works. I know I'll be okay. I truly believe that I will get on the right track. And that will come with seeing all of you as often as I can. Um, thanks for letting me share.
1: Great. Thanks, Sharon, for that. And Jim, you're up next.
7: Hi, everyone. I'm Jim and I'm a food addict. I'm just going to say hi and then uh, turn off my camera. So I think my reception might not be great, but Donna, thank you so much for your share. Yeah, I was just really moved by what you said. I, I think, um, For me, step one deepens. Like, I think I took it step one the best I could by coming into the program. And then, with setbacks, relapses, and also just realizing how much I think about food, it like deepened my step one. But, and I think it's continuing to deepen. I was just really struck by what you said around self knowledge. I think. I've been frustrated with OA at times. Cause it's like, wait, what do I eat or what do I not? Or what am I doing wrong? But I didn't, I don't think I realized I was like searching for some perfect formula of knowledge. And it's just, uh, I think there is some knowledge i needed. Like there's some basics there, but there's not like, I don't know, just this weekend, I have to say I felt carried by something I couldn't quite describe, you know? And, uh, Also, I just finished step nine. So maybe it's some of the promises coming true. Um, So it is. I I both feel reassured and kind of scared by that, I guess, of like reassured and that I don't need to figure it out or this wild formula I thought I needed. I don't need. And a little fear because it's I can't taste, touch, see or feel my higher power. And yet that's like the strongest base. That seems to emerge, you know. Um, so anyway, thanks for your share and your experience. I'll pass.
1: Great, thank you, Jim. Um, as of right now, we have the recording for unrecorded questions or shares with. This-